Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Need Some Introduction. In today's episode, quite a long episode covering many topics. So to start things off, my sister and I continue to discuss Barry, Season 3, Episode 3, and in much greater detail than we have on some of the previous episodes. This was a really entertaining episode for me, so I wanted to break it down in a little more detail. We follow that up, continuing to watch Shining Girls on Apple+. Plus. I don't think many people are watching this show, by the way. But if you are an Elizabeth Moss fan, I do recommend the show, at least so far. I find the mystery very interesting, and I do have a slight concern as to whether this will be a satisfying finale, so maybe you hold off until then. But I have been enjoying it up until now. It's very moody, stylish, and well-acted. And I'm still on board with it, as is my sister. Although we were very confused by this week's episode, if you've been confused by this show, maybe we can give you some insight here. I have my own theory that I go into great detail in this episode. And then towards the end of the episode... Nick is back to discuss first Moon Knight, then Better Call Saul, and then Ozark, the finale of Ozark in that order. So spoiler warnings across the board, we will be spoiling only the third episode of Barry, so make sure you've caught up on it before you listen to this conversation, up until the fifth episode of Shining Girls. And in my conversation with Nick, we spoil the finale of Moon Knight, which has wrapped up recently if you haven't caught up yet the latest episode of Better Call Saul, episode five, and of course the finale of Ozark. Not a big fan, spoilers ahead (laughs) for my reaction. Not a big fan of Ozark, especially in this final season, but you can hear my reaction there. And here's your timestamps if you want to jump to specific segments of the conversation. The Barry conversation starts at around minute five, Shining Girls at about minute 30, and my conversation with Nick discussing first Moon Knight, then Better Call Saul, and then Ozark begins at minute 58. So I hope you find something in there that you enjoy. Make sure you recommend this to your friends and family if anybody else is watching any of these shows and may enjoy the conversation. And as usual, subscribe if you would like to get notifications when our latest episodes become available. On Monday, of course, continuing to cover Saul, we are just two episodes away from the break in this final season. And later in the week, a continuing conversation of where we're at with Shining Girls, with Barry, and also my review of the new Alex Garland film, Men which is coming out this weekend, this upcoming weekend, and very much looking forward to that film. I haven't loved everything Alex Garland has made, but I've always been very intrigued by it. And that includes Ex Machina, Annihilation, and the Hulu series Devs, which I recommend all of those things to greater or lesser degree, depending on the actual project. He's always interesting, and he always has very big ideas in his films, and I do look forward to that. So I hope you find something in our conversation that you enjoy or tune in next week for more conversations. Talk to you soon. I had a recommendation for everybody and for you. I think you might enjoy this. Since everybody who's watching Shining Girls, I assume, has an Apple TV Plus subscription, there is a show on Apple TV called Calls, C-A-L-L-S, Calls. Kind of an interesting companion piece to 
Shining Girls in that it has a science fiction element to it and a horror element to it also. Fetty Alvarez wrote and directed this show, although I think it was a, a, an adaptation of a, a European show, and has an incredible cast of famous people in it, but it's just their voices. So you can literally watch this thing as a podcast. You can just like start playing it. And all the episodes are about 15 minutes long. The whole entire thing is just over two hours. You can watch the entire season. And it's like an anthology. There's something happening. Something strange is happening. People are basically getting phone calls from themselves or someone they know from the future. So someone's calling them on the phone. And it's sometimes they, they themselves are calling themselves from the future, or they are call, talking to some uh, other person that they know, but in the future. The episodes have variable quality. Some of them are excellent. Some of them are just okay. But it all comes together at the end. Like there is a mystery that's being solved by these calls. And even though this is mostly just voice acting, there is a visual element to it. It's almost like this very cool screensaver that is reacting to what the story is happening in the story. And it's changing based on that. So for example, there is one episode where these phone calls reveal a love triangle and you see these lines pinging on the screen and eventually it starts to form a triangle. Simple things like that. So there is a visual element to it, even though you could pretty much just listen to this as a podcast if you wanted to binge it on the way to work. Uh, there's also, if someone receives a text message, the text message is on the screen. Obviously, it's not read out loud. Occasionally, there's a text message, but the vast majority of this binge it as a podcast. But I really enjoyed this. I thought it was like uh, an interesting little experiment. It's like Twilight Zone. And uh, if it just kind of left uh, things unresolved at the end, I think it would be a little unsatisfying, but they do resolve this very strange mystery by the end of this very short series. So I recommend that. And it's called Calls, C-A-L-L-S. So that was my recommendation. So today we're talking about uh, the fifth episode of Shining Girls, Screamer. Not sure why it was called Screamer. And uh, also Barry's third episode, which is called Ben Mendelssohn, which is a, a payoff to a very funny joke in this episode. Let's start with Barry, actually. I want to start with Barry. And I'm going to tell you something that secretly, as we've been talking about the first two episodes of the show, I haven't been 100% vibing on Barry. Like I've been on board to see what they're trying to do, but I just haven't been really feeling the show for those first two episodes. But I loved this episode so much. I kind of actually want to do like a traditional beat by beat breakdown of the script because I thought it was so good. Uh, and before we get into that, what was your general impression also? Oh, I, I was so entertained. I mean, everything is funny about this one episode. But the very first scene is this whole sequence where we see Henry Wickler's face, <laughs> and he is giving an incredible performance here. He's good in every episode. Yeah. There was so much going on in this episode. Like every plot line was addressed. <laughs> yes. Yep. Yeah. And they're tying everything back together. That's, I think, why I feel like I'm vibing with the show more. You can kind of see how all these kind of random things that have been paying, uh, playing out in the previous episodes are starting to coalesce into something, right? We see everybody's kind of coming back together. And uh, you see that those first couple episodes were just kind of setting things in motion. Well, it's in motion. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Then they go with some great comedy here. <laughs> Once again, Henry Winkler going from extremely disturbed to very comedic, but very, very deadpan, where they come in to say hello to him. And he goes, hey, do you recognize this is our showrunner? And he goes, do you remember me? I was an intern on Murder, She Wrote, and uh, you ass and you assaulted me. And Henry Wickler goes, I'm going to need more information. That is <laughs> he's funny. Like, he, he's, he's, he's like, I assaulted multiple people on that set. Do you remember me? Murder, She Wrote. I was a PA. You attacked me. I need more. You threw hot tea in my face because your omelet had chives. 
Was I playing a priest? Very honored to have. <laughs> he's like very, very impulsive. Yeah. I don't even think he's despicable. I think he's just extremely impulsive. Like he's this big raw nerve <laughs> of action. And that's why last week I was saying, yeah, but he was just being real because right. this is his impulsive nature. Like, I don't know, his frontal lobe may not be fully developed, whatever the reason is, but it's who he is. And to do a little more meta um, commentary, the show itself is a commentary on Hollywood. Uh, and uh, it's more than that, obviously. But I think it definitely is. He was Fonzie. Is, right. But I think he's <laughs> definitely commenting on the culture of the 70s. Because, for example, you hear just in recent years, you have the last tango in Paris. You hear about the story about how the, the lead of that film was basically sexually assaulted by Marlon Brando in shooting that that scene, they're like, let's not tell her we're going to do this. Right? So it's like, great, <laughs> great. And then, of course, they put it on camera. You think about the story recently that came out about a Meryl Streep getting slapped in the face by Dustin Hoffman when they're making Kramer versus Kramer because he wanted to like coat, you know, he wanted her to feel that 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 emotion. Right. And I feel like the Henry Winkler character is like coming from that school of filmmaking, you know, back in the, uh, you know, in his, in the seventies where it's like, that's how. We have how. to go back. Yeah. So like being slapped in the face so you can feel that emotion is so not as dreadful though, as being raped to see how she will react on camera. Don't tell her. Oh, but it feels like, like there is this kind of culture at the time where, you know, not, that was kind of how it was. Like, think about it in the stories you hear now about the making of The Exorcist. Ellen Barkin has like permanent uh, spinal damage from being thrown around during those scenes. The director had a loaded gun. And when he wanted people to look surprised on a camera, he would like sneak up behind them and fire the gun like behind their heads so they could get those reaction shots on, on camera. That so is my point so is, intense. <laughs> so my point is that this is kind of the bananas culture that was there before where the actors were just kind of like um, treated like crap basically by these uh, filmmakers. And I think obviously things are so different now. But I just think that they have you, like a union and everything now. This well, the it's union not always okay. existed. It was just like culturally, I think that it was more acceptable to so... just <laughs> Awful. To just treat I did not terribly. know this. Yeah. As yeah. if people are like actors can't actually act. <laughs> they need to be physically attacked on camera to get emotions out of them. Wow. And I do think there's a commentary of that. So she's not a great guy. Not a great guy. I like then that we see Hank is trying to uh, calm down his guys. You know, they're like, oh my God, that we got, you know, that they, they came and attacked our plants. Luckily, the heroine was uh, secreted away and, and they didn't find it his main henchman at this point, <clears throat> he says, it's the Bolivians. We have to go after the Bolivians. And Hank says, oh, good thing. I love this. He goes, good thing. I had that Groupon expiring for that city tour. <laughs> <laughs> That's the reason that they were, I went on that tour, but also, uh, you know, that he says, oh, I don't think it was the Bolivians. I think it was just some local chodes, <laughs> just some local kids, you know, pranking us with machine he had guns. To get the, he knew he had to get them out of there. It's good, though, that he had a group on for his plan. <laughs> Just like it's very funny. That that's the excuse he gave. He's like, hey, let's go to city tour while we get our whole place gets shot up with machine guns. I also like like that he's supposed to convince these people that, you know, the fact that people showed up with automatic weapons, it was just some local kids pulling, pulling a prank. I'm like, I, I don't think they, they have that kind of <laughs> yeah. that kind of artillery. Maybe in the wire or something. <laughs> right. Then we see Fuchs is loving his Heidi life up in the mountains. He's there just to be their patsy when they need like basically someone to take a fall for something bad. 
but he rejects it. He says, nope, no, thank you. I uh, love being up here. The Chechens, meanwhile, want to kill Cristobal, as you would expect. They think Cristobal is behind this. Of course, we know better. The next scene is we see Sally is preparing for her to do her interviews, worried that she's going to have to answer all these tough questions. And she's never done one of these press junkets. Everybody gets like 30 seconds. They get their sound bite. They all ask her exactly the same question. And then they're on to the next. And this is very funny. This is when they ask her like the totally unrelated question who should be the next Spider-Man. And she says, I don't know, Ben Mendelsohn. <laughs> ben Mendelsohn's like 50 years old. <laughs> it's very funny. He's a very good actor, though. Very good actor, though. It's just everything they say is just, you know, completely superfluous. Like nothing really matters when they talk to each other. They like yeah. back out of things they originally said or they say stuff to make you feel better. Right. Like it's just all fluff. Oh, um, do you think they're going to ask about my childhood? Shit, I hope they don't ask about Sam. But I mean, I'm sure they've done their research. Oh, do you want some Vaseline for your teeth? I Alexis Kaplan has a daughter on Pam and in real life. I don't have one in real life. Is that bad? You think they're going to call me inauthentic? I mean, should I say that I'm considering adoption? No, I, I think they'll see how authentic your passion for the show is. Just don't be too passionate, you know? You don't want to be the real you in the wrong way. <sighs> By the way, I love this romper. It says, I'm a woman, but don't treat me like one. That's what we were going for. Oh, my God. That's the other, I think, satire on that kind of acting life, where whether you're an actor coaching another actor or whether you're the manager trying to, you know, get your spirits up of your colleague or your, your you know, your client. It's all like, just like you said, it's just like all puffery, right? It's just like, you know, building you up and <laughs> chatting you up and and nothing of it means any, nothing's consequential at all. And the interviews are more an extension of that, right? It's just more of the same. The scene after that is really good because... Gene Cus, what's Gene? Gene, is yeah. that his name? Yeah, he feels he so know. bad about his woman's death because he thinks it's his fault because oh, he invited yeah. Barry to his cabin. Yes, and then they like, had this conversation that he yeah. initiated, yep. and she figured it out. Now she's dead. I might go over to the Wheel of Fortune building, take some pictures. Did she suffer? But she figured out that it was you she was looking for. And I invited you to my cabin. Who was that guy that took me into the woods? He's nobody. Actually, you know what, that's not true. I want to be honest with you because I think we have a good thing going here. Um, he's a family friend. He's actually kind of like a- An uncle. He got you into this line of work. So that monologue that you gave me when I first met you, that was fucking true. And then I said it again at the dinner table. And she knows you. Hey, we don't need to rehash all this. If I didn't say anything, she'd be alive today. Oh no, don't put that on yourself, Mr. Cousineau. No, she was good at her job. That was an incredible uh, sequence for the exact reasons you said. It's not only that he is asking him if she suffered, but then when she he's playing it out, as, as anybody would, when you have something traumatic happen, you keep playing it out in your mind. And he now is seeing his culpability in it. It's a really great scene. And it's very sad, you know, that what he's going through right now. These actors are really good using their faces. Yep, like, I don't absolutely. think I would be a good actress because mainly I don't think I could do that. They, their faces are so controlled. 
that's always been the difference, I think, between a movie actor and a television actor. Because a TV actor, you just watch them on a little screen. Used to be a little screen. Now we all have giant screens. But they used to be these little screens. And they're kind of just across the room. And you're usually in these kind of master shots. So they're very small, right? As opposed to to be a movie star, you have to have your pick your face projected like the size of a building, you know, and you have to have an interesting face to look at. Like you said, 80% of what you're doing as an actor is just your face. It's not the words you're speaking, which are important, obviously, but it's just your face. And if you can't pull that off, then it's not going to work. And I think that's the difference between people who are movie actors and TV actors. That's why TV actors can't make it as movie actors, right? You blow their face up onto a giant screen and they have these very bland, uninteresting faces sometimes. And that just doesn't work, right? As opposed to some of the best actors out there, you just think of their faces. You just think about the the scenes where they can make you feel something just with an expression. It's riveting. If your face is going to be that big, (laughs) better be an interesting face. doesn't have to be a beautiful face, by the way. It has to be an interesting face. Oh, definitely interesting is much better than just pretty. Yeah. Pretty is good for like lipstick commercials and stuff. So the Bolivians, simultaneously, we see the Chechens are looking for vengeance and the Bolivians are also saying, we're going to head back to those tents. This is very funny that the Cristobal and Hank have this like very weird paralleling going on because they both seem to have like idiots around them. Although I'm not sure if this Bolivian guy, Fernando, I'm not sure if Fernando is really this dumb or he's just playing along with Cristobal right now. What was your read on that? I think he's really dumb. (laughs) You think so? (laughs) I do. I wouldn't be surprised. There's some pretty stupid people on the show. (laughs) I see what you're saying. Like, he looks like he might be wise in his face and nobody could be this dumb making these terrible decisions. I mean, just on its face, when you see that Cristobal is saying, hey, let's not go after the Chechens. Um, <laughs> you know, I know what's going on here. I've been here and uh, I'm telling you, this whole thing's a, a lost cause. There's really no reason to do it. And, uh, you know, uh, Fernando's like, but what am I going to tell the guys? They were so excited to go and kill the Chechens. And they're like, well, I know we'll take up the Johnny Rockets <laughs> and then we'll break the news in the parking lot afterwards. So no, <laughs> he's serious. Like that is going to make everything better. These guys <laughs> that, are going to be fine with it. I mean, that's one read of it. I, I think potentially that he's being but, sarcastic. He's be, No, that Fernando knows what's going on. He's basically testing Cristobal to see how he reacts. And Cristobal is like now kind of putting the kibosh on this. That would be so much better than yeah. if he was just dumb. Yeah, I I, I actually, would like that. Yeah, I actually suspect that that is the case. But I'm very much on the fence on this because there have been some very dumb things like the other Chechens in general <laughs> who might be wising up finally, but they basically call out Hank on some of the stupidity that he's done in the past in this very episode. So you are giving this job to a madman who killed most of our men at the monastery. Yes, but... Don't we want the madman? I mean, Barry is Greek freak of assassins, okay? The monastery, he was just having a bad day. But I wanted to get rid of Barry. And you insisted that we use folks, which was bust. And now you want to stop me going after Cristobal. Then Hank wants uh, the henchman, this guy who's starting to get a little suspicious here. I love that he shows up. And he's like, 
what's in the box? And they're like, it's a bomb. It's beeping, by the way. And he bought it on the dark web and they're freaking out. They just brought a bomb in, <laughs> in a box that came in the mail. <laughs> Very on funny. sale. Yeah, exactly. It was like a discount. I had to get it now. And they try to get the one guy who's probably the least equipped for this to do the actual bombing. <laughs> and he goes, I can't do that. That's crazy. And Tank says, I know someone crazy. And that's when he makes the offer to Barry. And Barry simultaneously is getting calls from Fuchs. Fuchs is calling him at the exact same time. This whole conversation, by the way, is absolutely incredible. Fuchs, we've seen this happen multiple times now where Fuchs is trying to manipulate Barry into like staying in the game or don't quit him or don't turn him in. And like, all these times, Fuchs was literally stabbing Barry in the back and to his face, you know, trying to emotionally manipulate him. And it's so crazy because as he was even trying to get Barry murdered at some points, he was still like so in this toxic relationship with him, like having to have his approval or at least his compassion is a really, really bizarre thing. And you see it here. He's like, he's in heaven. He's having this great time. I think they intentionally show us that earlier scene so that we really believe that he really is enjoying himself there and then we get well barry says where are you and he goes in heaven barry and then he starts asking him all these questions and then he goes oh actually barry i'm dying i'm dying he hears a goat he goes is that a goat in the background <laughs> and he goes like maybe i'm at a zoo maybe at a zoo i'm at a zoo with my new best friend and he goes, I thought you said you were in the hospital. And this kid's Fuchs, just Fuchs getting caught in his own lie, gets him so frustrated. But it's a, such a stupid lie. Once again, Fuchs is such an incredible character. I'm at the zoo. No, the hospital lie is hilarious. <laughs> it makes no sense. You're just like, what is happening? I love it. <laughs> the next conversation is great when you have both Sally and the girl who plays her daughter kind of unpacking everything after their interview. And Sally's kind of so upset with being asked all those questions and just kind of burned out and also saying, did they ask you the question of how who'd be the next Spider-Man? And she says, Oh yeah, I think I said Harry Styles or something. And she goes, Oh, that would have been so much better. And then she asks, did they ask you about the cake boss? <laughs> and he goes, she goes, is that one of the new Avengers? And uh, the girl goes, no, that's like a reality TV show. And she goes, Oh, that's so embarrassing. <laughs> oh, the only heavy part would have been the girl saying like, I told him Barry was great. Mm-hmm. They asked me because we have a show about abused women. When you see her with Sally's friend and she mentions, you know, she's afraid to be in the limo with Barry and uh, her friend's like, why? What? You know, when they ask, you know, when the, the showrunner asks you to be in the limo, you know, you, you take that. And she goes, well, I'm not comfortable being around Barry. And I love her explanation to her going, oh, no, I used to be in an acting class with this is a great actress, too, by the way. She used to be on The Good Place. It's really good on there. She says, oh, no, I was in an acting class with Barry. And yeah, he yelled at us, too. And, you know, he killed a bunch of people because when he was in the army or something. But that doesn't make him <laughs> violent or anything. <laughs> Not at all. She also says that she this is maybe very telling, by the way, that in this that she says that, oh, and he treats Sally like a queen. That's why she keeps him around, which is interesting, because I do think that Sally, the dynamic in Sally's mind is that she's kind of keeping him around. Like she's like too good for him or something. And little that we know that, uh, you know, <laughs> like very abusive boyfriends, when you kind of disappoint them, <laughs> it could get very ugly, very fast. Somehow they managed to make this stuff kind of funny. It's like you're dreading something happening, but it's still kind of funny. Very good writers. The writing here is excellent. Really good. There's a very funny joke here, by the way, that uh, when they're ready to do their scene where uh, they come in and the lawyer's name is Manity, Mr. Manity. And he goes, please call me Hugh, <laughs> Humanity. 
<laughs> I mean, everyone's so good at this. Yes. When he puts his, when Barry puts his hands on his shoulder, he like almost imperceptibly yes. gets Flinches. revolted and yeah. moves his shoulder back. These are like subtleties that make this amazing. Obviously, that is what's interesting about that scene. The dialogue itself is asking Barry to ask him for forgiveness. And Barry is so strange that he does not seem to get the irony of that dialogue. He just says like, oh, let's just do our lines or whatever. <clears throat> and of course, now uh, Gene Cousineau has the freedom of reacting <laughs> openly because he can't get murdered by him because they're in front of a, an audience. So it's interesting. And a he, camera. It, so it's interesting that he gets to react honestly because of the artifice. So that's kind of a very interesting, you know, irony that they create there. Mr. Manatee, please call me you. <sighs> Sir, my uh, company knowingly hiked the prices of a drug that would have saved your wife's life. What I did was terrible. And I'm truly sorry. I want you to stay away from my family. Fuck you and don't talk to me anymore, you piece of shit. Uh, but of course, Gene is so happy that he got the smack, you know, him in the face and he like storms <laughs> out and then, of course, gets terrified and runs away because he's like, Barry's could, could be behind them with a gun at, at any moment at this point. And his family. Did he smack him? No, he punched him like close fist punched him. I might have been. It might have been like an in-between. It was kind of like Will Smith <laughs> slapping <laughs> Chris Rock at the, at the Oscars. <laughs> <laughs> it was a punch slap combo. And that's when we get to the scene where, you know, you mentioned it already, but the daughter is very uncomfortable on camera talking about this abuse that she's witnessing. And then Barry, after, you know, Gene runs off, he realizes that he's kind of can't fix this thing. And where did Gene go? He, he like let Gene out of his sight. Gene just Gene's ran away. Like, yeah. He's just gone. Yeah. And that's a good question. What do you think is going to happen now? I think he's going to leave Gene alone. He's going to tell Gene that he can't say anything, obviously. But if he keeps his mouth shut, he will leave him alone. I think that's I think that's what Barry's going to do. I, I think so, too. But he has to find Gene and tell him that that's going to have to happen. Well, Gene's going so to run home. So he's basically going to he's going to run home to his house, you think? I think he's going to run home to his uh, son and grandson because he thinks that they're at risk. You know, if Barry is on the warpath right now, which I don't think he is, by the way, given the next scene, I think he knows that they're in danger. They would be in danger, right? But I don't think that's the case. So, but but I think that's where he's going to go because he wants to protect them and probably wants to like go into hiding or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The whole last part of this is so incredible where, you know, Fuchs is getting so angry at the fact that he was happy. He was actually happy. And I think once again, that's why we see that earlier in the episode. And now he's miserable because he really does believe that Barry's like over him. <laughs> so once again, this is the metaphor we see you know, the metaphor of this like unhealthy relationship, right? You think about all these people who are like exes or something, they seem to be remarried and happy and then things go horribly wrong because they simply cannot get over the fact that the other person is happy. Like if the other person was miserable, they would move on with their lives. But if that other person is happy, they absolutely cannot move on. I hate seeing you like this. I'm so riled up about Barry when he's not even thinking of you. That's exactly why I want to kill him. You don't. Vengeance is like drinking poison, hoping the other person will die. Well, at least he'd be dead. 
Aren't you happy here? If you knew everything I did for him, all I sacrificed to give this kid a life, you'd feel different. And then we have this great final scene where Fuchs with his girlfriend tells him this story, a true story, not true story, a true fable, a Chechen fable about this um, man who wants this land. So he has to have it. So he goes and kills the farmer who owns it and all the people who live there. All the people who got killed have the option to either, you know, give into vengeance and come back as, you know, murderous panthers or to be accepted into heaven. And this one little boy says, no, I don't want vengeance. And he goes into heaven. Everybody else, they get their vengeance. They kill the farm, the, the guy who uh, killed the farmer in the first place, who now owns the land. But they all die and like, their souls are you know, at the bottom of the sea. And Fuchs totally misses the point of this. <laughs> and <laughs> she's basically telling him, don't be that guy. Don't be the guy who goes and pillages the farm because you know, you're, you're going to, in the end, your soul will, will burn in hell. And he's like going like, he sees himself as I'm the Panther. And by the way, I think I know all of the other people that Barry has wronged. And I'm going to create an army of Panthers to go and get, go after Barry. Right. And, <laughs> yeah. And he knows where all the bodies are buried, but he literally knows like he's the one who has all the receipts for all of these other kills. So he can just pick up the phone and start saying, Hey, I know the guy who killed your wife. Hey, I know the guy who killed your uh, your um, uh, business partner. I know the guy who killed your husband, whatever. And uh, and of course, he may very well call up Gene. Gene could be part of these vengeful Panther pack. Misreads that absolutely completely. <laughs> you say this happened to a friend of yours? It's a fable from the 16th century. How long did it take him? How long did what take him? The vengeance army Panther thing. How long did it take him to put that together? It didn't really happen. It's a morality story. It's not real. But it could be. That would be fun. What a fun episode if everybody just kind of kills each other off or something, even though it's pretty basic ending to something with this kind of theme. Right. I still think it would be fun. So with that out of the way, we can move over to Shining Girls, the fifth episode. Beyond that, let's get into Shining Girls. The episode is called Screamer. Do you have any idea why this thing is called Screamer, by the way? No, I don't know why, but I do have a lot of questions about this <laughs> yes, episode. Many, many questions. More yes. than I had ever before this yes. episode. So Elizabeth Moss directed this episode. How did you think she did? Some of the confusion in the storyline. I don't think really blame her for that. Although I do think they're starting to reveal this mystery and it's a little confusing, right? <laughs> to say the least. A couple of things happened that I find that other people might see it where people are acting ways that are not logical. Like what, what's the example? Like the lady who lost her key goes back and she realizes people are following. Someone is following her into the building like 25 minutes later. Right. I would be so creeped out by Elizabeth Moss if this were the case. I would not want to speak to her ever again. I would be so freaked out that this woman, I let her into my house 
And she's telling me that this is a key from 20 years ago. And do you see things changing and no one else notices them except you? And then I go to my job and I realize someone's stalking me with this key from 20 years ago. And then she goes and she's talking to Elizabeth Moss. Like I would be like, get away from me, woman. There's something important there is that you're seeing her in two different timelines, right? So you have the one scene where she talks to Elizabeth Moss is asking her these questions and she's like very interested in her, like as a physicist and she doesn't see this as a direct threat to herself. And then you have the other one where she's kind of freaked out because she's already had some kind of creepy stuff happen. So we're seeing her in two different timelines. So I do agree that that is pretty confusing, by the way. I, I totally agree that that is a little confusing because it makes you think, you know, you have her have that conversation with her. And then two scenes later, she shows up at her house and it's as if she's never spoken to her before. Like, why are you talking to me? And it's so I'm like, what is happening? And it's because <laughs> yeah. it's, you're literally seeing her in two different timelines. Although the suspicious one, the one who's the, the more suspicious version of herself, does is in the timeline of the day she's supposed to get murdered. And yet she does not get murdered. We're jumping all the way to the end here. But it's uh, so it's, we're still not in the right timeline, the one where she gets murdered yet. <laughs> anyway, long story short is I agree. I'm confused by a lot of what's happening here. And before I even get into Leo, which was fascinating, yes, yes. that character, yeah. that, that whole play out, I'm like, ooh, I was like, what is happening? Yes, right. There's like other weird stuff that you mentioned the other day. Everyone's timeline is a, is a little off. Yes. Yeah. You see that people are, other people are getting sucked into this um, alternate timeline, which is part of the reason I wanted to recommend that call show because it plays on some of these same themes. Her so, husband. Yeah is still interesting to me. She doesn't even remember marrying him. He Wait, just what? was there one day. Right. A well, fully she... formed relationship. Fully well, formed right. to the point where you would agree to spend the rest of your life with this man and she doesn't remember even marrying him. Things changed for me just like that and nobody knows any different. And then it happens again. And again. Have you talked to Marcus about this? That's what I'm telling you. I never married him. I just came home one day and he was there. Well, I mean, that's what's crazy about it, right? Is because imagine she simply is put into the body of the person who was there. That person who made the decision to marry her husband, she doesn't have her memories. She's just inside of her body. So for example, in one version, she lives with her mom and her mom is like a total hippie. In another version, her mom like, uh, you know, gave up the rock and roll life like decades ago and is like working at a like a kind of one of these Christian um, uh, communes or something, you know. So it's like, you know, a very, very different situation. And of course, she has no memories of her mom changing her life course because she's just literally plopped into this alternate reality. She doesn't get the memories. In other words, she's floating between these things. Like she has a cat in the beginning of the first episode and then she gets home and there's something banging on the door and it's a dog. She doesn't have a memory of owning a dog. The dog is just there because she owns it. And she's not the version of herself who bought that dog. Right. So she's at sea all the time. Very weird. Yeah. But so Who's the- Leo, tell me about what do you think of? Leo? Oh, I don't know. Yeah. So that's what's right. going so- on with that guy. <laughs> yeah. We got to start pl- breaking this down. <laughs> So first thing first, she has a clue from the attack last week. She saw his tattoo, right? The killer's tattoo, whose name we still don't know. We don't know who this guy is. Pretty interesting scene there where she is talking to the sketch artist and the sketch artist is like, you know, we can't really trust your description. You're a little hysterical. And she's just like furious about this whole thing, of course. 
you know, but she does get a very accurate picture of him uh, from what we see. Of course, the killer then wakes up and he is chained to his bed because he was probably violent when he was found. And of course, this is very troubling to him. He's been slashed in the face, by the way. We saw her do that last week. And, and that's a pretty serious scar he has now, which probably doesn't make him very happy either. And he's chained to the bed and he's freaking out for two reasons. First of all, I'm pretty sure he does not like being chained up. You know, that's probably not. He's the one who likes being in control, obviously. And second of all, he starts saying that he has to get back to the house or else he's going to end up like Leo. So this is very, very important that he says that line of dialogue. What house does he have to get back to? Well, I think we see it before the credits. I think it's right before the credits or right after the credits. He seems to be, you know, something happened to Leo. We do meet Leo in this episode. I guess we met him before. But we didn't realize that's who he was. He says that he's in the wrong time. This is actually his dialogue. He says he's that he's in the wrong time. So maybe he's not in his correct timeline. So he's starting to have um, some kind of break with his reality. We see like he's, you know, uh, he's seeing the blurred images and things. And we see him walking back to some house. He has the key to this house. He walks into the house. There's a very cool image here, by the way. He goes into the doorway and there's a mirror. So when he sits on the steps of inside the house that uh, the camera pans over so you can see another version of himself in the glass. So there's like two versions of him sitting next to each other, which I thought was pretty cool. And, uh, and then he starts to calm down. So apparently he needed to go back to this house so that he wouldn't have spent too much time away from the house, which is what happened to Leo. So, and then we meet Leo later, and I'm just going to put my theory out there now for <laughs> just to make things a little simpler, that I think that Leo also lived in this house or previously lived in this house and that he spent too much time away from it and he started to lose his mind. Like he, I think that's why he has this kind of early, they, they think it's early onset dementia, but potentially Leo might be really old, right? Just like, um, so he, and so my point is that Leo's mind might be the uh, mind of an old man because he's been potentially doing what this guy was doing before, not murdering people, but somehow being able to transfer through different timelines for decades and decades. So on the outside, he hasn't aged, but maybe in his mind he has, right? So that's my theory. That's what I got. And maybe she's one of them. It would be interesting if she was one of them, but we did see her as a young girl, right? So she has been aging. So I don't know. Uh, I think they're entangled. They talk about entanglement here in this actually episode. I think that that's kind of what they're hinting at, that somehow because she didn't die, she's her fate is somehow entangled in his moves. So maybe when he changes something, when he moves through time, he changes the present or the past. He changes something. There's the ripple effects, right? It's like the whole idea of time travel. If you go and you change something minor in the past, it has like huge consequences in the future. So like the girl was talking about atoms. Right. Which is very cool, by the way. I mean, not, I, I don't think this is possible at the macro level with a, a person, but this whole thing is one of the most fascinating things for me. Quantum entanglement is utterly fascinating. I don't think two people could be entangled, but uh, particles can be entangled. And it's amazing because you can actually, if you have two entangled particles, you can actually change one. The other one will instantaneously change, uh, reacting to that first particle, actually, that was modified. And then there's like, it's like turning a switch. So the other one goes into the opposite position, regardless of where it is in the universe. So this is not like traveling through, like if you're traveling through space, you have to abide by the limitations of being able to travel at the speed of light. This quantum entanglement is faster than the speed of light. You could actually have a particle on the whole other side of the universe, like billions and billions of light years away. And if you're entangled, a change on one side affects the other. It's really, really crazy. And Einstein called it spooky 
action at a distance. And it is very spooky when you think about it. It's like almost something, I mean, it's something supernatural, really, when you think about it. I guess it's not supernatural because it's explained in a, you know, physics explains it, but it's really bizarre. They're touching, they're touching on some of these mysteries of physics. Although, uh, even though this is actually true, right? Like, for example, another crazy thing about physics is, believe it or not, we perceive time in only one direction, right? It's the arrow of time. We only get older, right? But that's not true. That time is just like height. It's the fourth dimension, right? You have height and you have distance and you have width and just like a measurement and time is just another dimension. So you could theoretically go forward or backward in time if we were able to perceive time that way. But we as humans cannot perceive time in that direction. So theoretically, you could imagine like if you've ever seen the movie Arrival, which is incredible, by the way, they play with this idea. What happens if you are able to be a fourth dimensional being, which means that you can travel from any point in your lifetime. So if you're 25 years old, at any time, you could actually be four, you could be eight, not memories, but actually traveling into your body at all those different times. That would be so amazing. <laughs> right? It'd be crazy, right? I and would that's be kind so of, wise and that's as kind like of a 10-year-old. <laughs> yeah, jump back into it. But here's the crazy thing about that too. And that they play with it in Arrival as well. You wouldn't be able to change anything you did back then. That's what's different from this version of this theory in Shining It's still Girls. cool though, because if that were the case, I would go on vacation all the time <laughs> right, to like go, these exotic places just, and, just so I can go, go back, back there. And travel to them. Exactly. Exactly. All right. So that's my huge physics digression there, but I'll send you some, really cool, <laughs> you know, I'll send some uh, YouTube videos that everybody should check out. I'll put them in the show notes also in case anybody wants to see these things. There's like, you know, very cool videos that have tens of millions of views, by the way. So they're very popular where they say like, you know, the seven craziest mysteries of physics and spooky motion at a distance is one. And they talk about it here. Quantum entanglement is another way to say that. And theoretically what they're hypothesizing, the physicist in this show, Ginny, I think her name is, uh, is that, you know, perhaps she is entangled with this guy. Now, like I was saying before, at the particle level, you can actually have entangled particles where you turn one on into the positive direction, the other one spins the opposite direction. Uh, so it actually does happen in physics. Uh, now, can you do it to a whole body? <laughs> I don't think so. There's way too much complexity to have all of your, <laughs> you know, uh, particles all entangled one with the other. But uh, But who knows? I mean, I think that's what they're playing with here, the concept. And they're not the first ones to do this, by the way, you know, uh, the Avengers movie, by the way, that's how they travel through time in the most recent um, Avengers film, uh, that big finale where they traveled back in time. So imagine it, we analyze it to this degree and it's something really dumb. <laughs> it could be something really stupid. Like well, I mean, I, I, very well, lowbrow. I actually think it's going to be something <laughs> dumb in the fact that they're just throwing these words out there, entanglement, etc. But like I said, this does not actually map to actual physical concepts. They're kind of using stuff that is true at the particle level <laughs> and applying it to like someone's lifetime. Not the same thing. But like I said, hey, you know, you have your uh, discretion. They also apparently have some kind of house that gives him some kind of healing power uh, to, you know, keep him from drifting into the wrong timeline or something, which we don't know yet. I wonder where this house is. I mean, we already talked about it, but. How are these women connected to this house? Yeah, and the math is interesting because you think about, uh, you know, when you think about these women who were killed, you see someone who got killed in 1974, uh, Elizabeth Moth's character, Kirby, or she called herself Kirby, Sharon, killed, or was attacked in 1984, but did not die. And now it's 1992. So I'm assuming that that other woman will not die until 1994. Maybe that's why he says not tonight or something to her. So I think she still has time, but there are- he, uh, yeah. Yeah. He says to Leo, 19, this is the last one. 
I don't know. I don't know what the 19 means either. Let's let's get to the Leo scene because of uh, we probably just have to jump to it now. So it is interesting. We had seen him with Leo before. For some reason, I thought because maybe just Leo was so young, I thought he was like an orderly or something at that house. This is very confusing to me also. But it turns out he's a patient at this place. He seems much more with it when he's talking to this guy rather than when he's not. <laughs> he seems to be pretty demented otherwise. Although he does kind of perk up when. Elizabeth Moss as a Kirby character shows up later, although she does mess with him, which is this is a very good scene, by the way. Speaking of subtle acting, I love when he grabs her hand and she doesn't pull away because she's trying to get him to talk. But there is just this look on her face where she's just dealing with this, like not wanting to obviously when you consider her past, not wanting to be touched like uh, by someone without permission. And, but she just kind of sucks it up and her face is great in that moment. But before we get there, we, we have this whole uh, sequence where. Leo meets with with this guy, this character, this killer. Where did you meet her? You know, uh, just out. Are you sure she saw the same thing as you? She saw something change? Oh, yeah. And you know what? I could tell it wasn't her first time either. Maybe it's her that's making a change, you know? Maybe she knows something you don't. Last one. And, you know, Leo wants to go back to the house. He says, no, that's not our deal. That's not the deal we have. That's the mystery of it. Was Leo at the house first? And then this guy showed up. Now they've switched places. But this I is thought that they were at the house together. But no, he won't I think let he's... him back in now. Oh, you mean at one point they were back in the, they were in the house together? Yeah. Perhaps, yeah, perhaps. But then why wouldn't he let him back in? I don't know. I don't know what happened. That Does he blame him for something? Also, the fact that he says that's not the deal we made. So they cut some kind of bargain to to share well, the maybe, house or something. Maybe he was supposed <laughs> to kill him after he did something stupid. And then the deal they made is you just can't come back to the house. I mean, maybe. But why does he keep him around? Like, I mean, if he needed to kill him, he could have just killed him. Or maybe he's just fascinated by him because he knows that that's going to be his fate someday. I, I don't know. Or maybe it's like his brother or something. It could be, but I have a feeling, my theory of the case is that this guy's much older. In other words, that this guy's been killing these women for 20 years and he's been doing this time travel thing, whatever it is, for 20 years. And that that guy's been doing it for longer. And that's why when he got displaced in time, when he ended up in the wrong timeline, it's like now he's whatever. Let's say he's been doing this for 60 years. He now is like 80 or 90 years old, which is where he gets his dementia from. Um, but I, another thing I found very interesting, by the way, is that they, that the nurses were saying that these people keep mementos in their house, uh, in their rooms, because it helps them remember things when they have these mementos around them. And he's been putting these mementos inside the women. So is it possible that Leo and him have switched places? Like, was he some demented guy in this ward? And then would he get younger? I don't know. I'm confused. <laughs> I'm confused. Yeah, but he goes to her, don't go near him. Right. I think this guy is just killing these women because he's a sicko. I don't think he needs to kill these women. Perhaps the other guy, you know, wasn't a murderer. Uh, he was just a time traveler of some kind. And now he knows that this guy is uh, <laughs> killing these women too. No, I mean, that would be a terrible reason for all this to be going on. Imagine we analyze it all and it's like, no, he's just a killer. He's just crazy. Like, no, it has to be something else 
I'll be so disappointed. If he's just a killer who's like using this yeah, time travel thing. It's as too a, simple. A I mean, we're talking about. get away with it. What were we just talking about? It was like all about mm-hmm. physics and stuff. Quantum entanglement. This is, but nope, he's just crazy. <laughs> he's just a crazy killer. <laughs> that's and this it. Is, this is how he gets away with it. I don't know. I, I honestly do think that's probably the way it's going, but we'll, we will no. see. No. <laughs> I think the show is creepy, though. I would say that I think he has an agenda that's more than that. Like he made, to your earlier point, think that he's somehow putting them on a different path or something, right? He's like correcting their paths. Like maybe, but um, I do. I, I, I think that he's just the sicko. I think they're coming <laughs> full circle of some kind. There is definitely a feeling that coming full circle when you think about the key that was found uh, is basically, you know, in the first body, you know, from 20 years in the future. So that does like a ritual because he's really annoyed that she's still alive. Like, I don't think that's was part of the full circle plan. Right. And then uh, we have a very creepy scene, by the way, almost right after this, when he's inside of Ginny's apartment, he's already there. And she's, you know, having uh, Elizabeth Moss come up to uh, I love that Kirby. scene. Yeah. Kirby's coming up the stairs and he sneaks out onto the balcony because, of course, he's been there so many times in this exact instance that he knows when she's going to turn her head. He knows everything. Right. So it's very creepy when you think about someone just knowing you so well that they can be in your presence, like just feet away and you don't see them. That's a very, very creepy idea. You know, and then he sees Kirby come in. And he's happy because Kirby kind of changes back into the version of Kirby that he likes to see when her hairs get shorter there. I like that he mapped his way back to that scene because previous to him knowing she was still alive, he would not have been able to do that. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that's a disturbance he's created here now too, because he doesn't know she's alive. And like you said, that um, now she's she's intersecting with his next uh, victim, which of course is going to create many problems because this pattern that he's been hiding in in time is all like on the front page of the newspaper right now, right? So it's pretty crazy. How many more episodes are there? Three more. Three more. Yeah. See, they are wrapping it up. That's what it felt yeah. like. Yeah. It's getting closer to the we're end. We're getting but... to the nitty gritty here. Yeah. Oh, definitely. I think we're getting closer to that. I like to say nitty gritty. <laughs> nitty gritty. <laughs> All about the nitty gritty. There is one more important thing that we find is that really great scene like we mentioned already, we're kind of telling the story out of order, but so, so is the show. So that's okay. <laughs> but the, uh, we have um, the whole sequence where she goes to talk to Leo. And there's a great scene I mentioned where he touches her and she doesn't want to be touched, but she kind of plays along. And then she tries to use his dementia against him. And she starts saying, I'm going to tell him you told me where he lives. And he goes, what do you mean? And he's like, you just told me, you just told me. And he's like, don't tell him, don't tell him. And it's so cool because, you know, it's cruel <laughs> in a way, but it's uh, very cool to kind of basically use his own mistrust of his, what he's just done a minute before uh, against him. And he still doesn't tell her where the house is. He wasn't actually able to, she wasn't able to work that out, but he does, she does say he knows you have it or something like that. She's trying to just fish for something. And he gets a VHS tape, another interesting clue. This girl is dressed up like someone from the 1940s, like a 1940s um, swimsuit. And so there now, so this girl's in relatively contemporary times, we would assume, is dressed up as this uh, old time uh, swimmer and is an old time uh, uh, costume. And then the question is, oh, yeah, I think, I think they're going to try to track her down, basically. And um, but yeah, so once again, how old is this guy? Because he seems to have a tattoo that her husband identified as being related to Vietnam, but he has some nostalgia for 
that girl in the bathing suit that is speaking French. So was that World War II, right? Because you know that's when the, these men served in France. That's much earlier than Vietnam War, right? That's 30 years earlier. Was that even like a real like old tape? I mean, I feel like he would that person Shut was play acting. Yes. Yeah, the, but it, it yeah. wasn't too old. It, it probably was like 10 years before or something. Right. That's my guess is that he is making a tape in contemporary times. And I think it's even later than 10 years before. Remember, this show is in a shot this year. The timeline that we're in uh, is 1992. So this is shot on VHS. So it, it wasn't 1973 when he shot that video because that girl, people didn't have VHS tapes back in 1973, basically. So you're looking at something in the early to mid eighties, if not later, maybe even nineties. So the point is this girl made that video within the past few years, maybe six years, seven years. Um, so yeah, it was not an old timey video. It was shot on video. And uh, which means that he is making her play act somebody else basically, which is what she's doing. Um, but it's just, why would he have a nostalgia for someone dressed up like someone from the 1940s, for example, right? Unless um, maybe he's that old, right? He's maybe uh Maybe he's been around that long. I wonder, I was wondering about that whole scene. I'm like, why? What does now, what does this VHS tape or whatever it is have to do with this mystery? Well, I think and they then just there's want the key, to, right. and then there's the Pegasus, and then there's Leo, and all the time shifts, and the mom being like, a religious cult person or something, whatever. I don't even know what she's doing. Or she was like a alcoholic, drug addict, rock star. It's There are so many moving parts in this show. Well, I think most of that, I think that the differences in people's biographies is not important. And I don't think that giving her the Pegasus is in it of itself, like the Pegasus has some kind of secret power. I think it is just another memento. Like he has all these other mementos that he uses for to mark these women in some way. This is my guess as to what it is. And um, and those things mean something to him. Uh, and they are, you know, it's like he's leaving a puzzle behind intentionally because each murder uh, clue leads them into not only a different uh, victim, but that victim is in a different time frame, right? Like for example, Kirby's matches don't exist in her version of reality. And now they do. So something has changed, right? So it's all going in some direction. And, um, but we still don't know what that grand plan is, but there definitely is a grand plan that he's trying to, uh, you know, some ceremony, like you said, that he's trying to concoct here. Some of the other stuff, you know, about like, you know, the mother's involvement in that, uh, you know, church, the husband, uh, and then, you know, the, the, the guy who, she is just a friend at work that you can kind of tell early on that he kind of has a crush on her. And now of course they're married in a completely different version of reality. I think that's just like time differences, right? I don't think that that is, um, you know, uh, I don't think that everything's going to tie up so neatly. Um, oh, I forgot to mention something that happens at the very beginning of the episode and then circles back to it at the end. But in the middle, you know, we, we feel like Dan might be losing his faith in her, right? He's, you know, starting to believe this evidence, but then she's telling him, oh, you know, I, uh, I, you know, things are moving in time. I don't even have, I don't even know my husband as the whole conversation you touched on earlier. And Dan's like, oh my God, this woman is insane. What the hell? I, you know, relying on her. And then it gets worse when later on the cops go, 
where'd you get that evidence from? And they're like, well, we got it from the archives, but we put everything back. And he says, well, the bags have been opened. And uh, is it possible that all that weird evidence is because it's been tampered with? So now he's starting to think, oh my God, did Kirby, Kirby actually mess up the evidence? And that's why all this weird evidence is coming up. But he comes around, right? Because at the end, there's a really cool scene where he says, she says, where's your car? And he trusts her. He says, okay, what car did I drive here? And she describes the car he used to have, the cigarette burns, every little detail. And he starts to believe her. So that is a step in the right direction for her. He finally may have somebody on her side here. What do you think I drove here? Celica, tan. The seat belt on my side, it was broken. Whoever sat there must have smoked. There were burns by the window. You're right. My ex-wife didn't give a shit about that car. Do you remember it? Yeah. Sold it a couple of years ago. I definitely didn't drive it here. When things change for you, do you recognize it? Sometimes. Other times they're just random. Maybe there wants to come. I think he had that experience where he, you know, had the glass in his arm and then he cut his arm the next day. And he's like, well, that's kind of weird, you know? Dan even says it at the end of this episode, right? That when things change, maybe you're seeing things that are coming from the future are coming, right? So theoretically, maybe, you know, you saw in the very first episode where she's kind of flirting with that guy, maybe they flirted and dated for five years and then they got married, right? Uh, and then that ha- got accelerated by some changes that happened. You know, he had that, he doesn't have that car uh, now, but he did have that car earlier in the day, Dan, that is, right? So that was from two years in the past. Well, things just moved two years, right? So things are moving around in, in time. Uh, and yeah, I don't know why. <laughs> I'm just saying, I think that's what's happening. I don't know why it's happening. <laughs> we are so baffled. Like you can hear yes. it in our yes. voices. We are just like, it's baffling. The show is baffling. But is it frustrating? I find it entertaining even as I don't think it's frustrating, but I have a lot of patience. Yes. Like I always like look at the long game. So yeah, that's how I feel about this. There's a long game somewhere in here. That's why the guy can't just be crazy. Like he's just crazy. It's not acceptable. (laughs) Well, there's just so much thought going into this. The rest of it. Yes. Yeah. For this to be like, he's just crazy. So it's it's funny because how do you talk about this show? We're like trying to pick it apart and stuff because we don't even know where it's going at all. Well, I think we can't really solve it until we get to the end, unless once again, this is a book, so we could probably uh, get spoilers for it, but I've been trying to avoid spoilers so far since uh, I, mean, I, I made it this far into this show. <laughs> I'm not going to spoil it now. So, no, I avoid all spoilers yeah. all the time. Well, I mean, if you've read the book, I'm sure if anybody's watching this that read the book, I'm sure everything's been spoiled (laughs) unless they change the plot, which is possible. No, that would be even worse. All right. Thanks for the conversation. All right. Bye. Talk to you soon. Bye.
All right. So we were just kind of working out the agenda for today before we started recording. We have Nick back on uh, the podcast again. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, top of the top of the list for me, or I, but this is probably not top of my list anymore, given how things all wrapped up. But we were covering week to week the Moon Knight show. And I was kind of on board again w- with episode five when they were in the asylum. And then not so much with the finale. So <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we're we're pretty much in the same camp. I uh, I was on board again a little bit with the asylum episode. Kind of kind of liked where it was going. Still not totally sold. And I think my reaction after the the, the episode five asylum episode was, man, how are they going to wrap this thing up? You know, right. because it sort of yeah. didn't give us too many answers. The beginning is six. They bring back Stephen. Right. But I kind of liked the fact that they were down to just one character but then they brought him back and i'm like all right let's see where this goes so five i was intrigued like all right this is good let's see let's see if they can wrap it up and i wasn't optimistic that they would be able to wrap it up and my (laughs) and my fears were confirmed somewhat with with the final episode i thought it was a mess honestly i thought i thought the last episode was a mess i i put this series in the um falcon and winter soldier series where i I really never need to see it ever again (laughs) right i actually wouldn't mind seeing this character show up at some point down the road in the mcu and again i haven't seen dr strange yet so i don't know if he's in it or not but i really don't need to see his origin story anymore to be honest with you this is very confusing towards the end of the show i was like I, i didn't know what the hell was going on i'm like what is actually happening here? And then, you know, it, it, it finishes, he's back at home, right? He wakes up, he's yeah. tied to the bed again. And then, and then the third, the, the third personality who we all suspected was, I forget the name of the, uh, the character, but it's the cab driver, the right, the, right, right. the cab driver from New York uh, was, was the character at the end. So I didn't think that was that huge of a reveal actually, yeah. because when Conchu was in, uh, in the car with Harrow, I had a feeling I'm like I bet you that's the it's going to be the third the third character and, and sure enough it was and right he shoots Taro and then that's the end like uh, what's her name became the avatar for the hippo right which her um, armor was the only like a highlight yeah. of the whole thing was I thought the, the armor was pretty cool and her the armor, armor was cool and she was a cool <laughs> she actually was a pretty cool superhero so I, yeah. I kind of like that she's more action oriented than the, the than, uh, Moon Knight is right the, the Moon Knight and once again I think if you know if somebody has the patience or fortitude to go through the entire series i'd be curious to see if they could actually sit there with a stopwatch and see how much how many actually, minutes yeah how many minutes you Man. actually saw moon night on screen it's crazy <laughs> i also love the fact that there's like some actually very cool iconography there i love the shot when he like uh, flies for the first time in that yeah. final episode and his uh cape is out and it kind of makes that almost bat signal type yep. um you know symbol with the with the moon behind it and it's like such a cool payoff but it's like a payoff for what like we have no yeah. atta- no attachment to this character at all None. we've never seen this guy do anything it's not like finally there he is he's back again it's like what are you talking about this is the first time we've seen him in action it's, exactly it's just the way the whole thing is structured is so strange i'll tell you though i mean looking at the reviews some people especially like on twitter and i don't know if it's just you know and again i'm listen i'm a huge mcu fan uh big big time generally speaking i like everything that they put out you know uh with the exception of some certain things and this was one of them that i didn't really like but you know you'd read on twitter people were like really obsessed with the show and they were like this was great it was a great end and and i was like i don't see it i just don't see it you know i i just feel like you could have done so much more with with this character especially you know with three split personalities and It, it went a little bit off the rails with the whole asylum thing. And I don't, I still don't understand how, how that even fit into everything, you know? Um, and then at the end, Harrow's in the asylum. Right. Right. 
Yep. So it's like, what was actually that? That was the most confusing part to me because <laughs> right. I felt like the, the asylum was actually in um, Mark slash Steven's head. Right? right. And when he got shot, right, that's where he goes. And then he sees the. <laughs> I apologize. I can't remember the name of the God, but the hippo God, you know, yes, so yeah. <laughs> right. I'm thinking, I, that's all yeah. I, I knew it when I did the recap last week, it's all out of my mind. It's all gone now. <laughs> exactly. So, so he's in the asylum and I'm thinking, well, that's, that's like a manifestation of his, of his, in his mind, you know, he's just, that's, that's what he sees when he dies, I guess, or whatever. But then in reality, Harrow's actually in that asylum at the yeah. end of the show when Conchu gets him out before he shoots him in the in the limo. Right. Right. I, I think there's two different asylums there. I think one is an actual asylum, but he also had uh he had checked himself into an actual asylum that is Stephen okay. back in uh you know when his mother died. It's so they we kind of find that out very briefly, just like in one line of dialogue. So I think that that is like kind of a mind palace yeah. for him. That's all happening in his mind, but it does correlate to an actual asylum. And that's where yeah. we see Harrow at the end. But at I mean, I don't think you're inside of his mind palace or whatever. Yeah, or that was he just... was that I think I've actually heard that on Twitter. People saying like, how did how did this like nice version of Harrow like in this other space? They think it's like some kind of alternate plane or something. I'm like, no, no, no. Yeah. That's all in his head. He's yeah. casting Harrow in that role. And then Harrow is in an actual asylum at the end. And at the end, got, I'm not sure how he got there that quickly, because I mean, he's like waking up in his body. Yeah in his apartment and then somehow apparently jet set on that limo with the <laughs> license plate specter with the missing e a very yeah, very subtle yeah yeah <laughs> and, it was uh, uh, somehow he got there very quickly <laughs> yeah that it just it was it was it didn't make much sense but i but i will say going back to episode five one of the things that i did like about episode five was um the backstory and how he yes, developed yep. steven and and steven yep. sort of saved him because of the, you know, the harsh reality of, you know, when he grew up and his brother died and all that. I did like that. I really yep. did like that. And I just feel like, I feel like you could have gotten rid of a lot of the, the the stuff that happened in maybe like the first few episodes. And maybe, maybe you have the first episode and then maybe the second episode could have been his backstory where he developed yep. Steven yep. and then just taking it from there. I feel like there was just for, for six episodes, there was so much ancillary stuff that you just yep. didn't need to waste time on it could have made for a more cohesive storyline that i think you would have been more interested in what happened to these characters at the end you know it's a big thumb it's a big thumbs down on my end in terms of the show i and started having my doubts midway through yep. came back a little bit for episode five but then i you know now nah. to your point earlier i'm very surprised by it too the reaction's been pretty strong and uh, the streaming ratings themselves and the moonlight ratings have been strong week over week They've performed better than Hawkeye, not as well as WandaVision and Loki, which were massively successful, mm -hmm, but more mm -hmm. successful than the other um, shows, uh, Hawkeye specifically and uh, uh, Captain uh, American with the Soldier, or is that the right way to say it? Uh, Falcon, yeah. But, Falcon yeah, with well, the Soldier, Captain right. America at the end. <laughs> right, well, well, whatever. At the, beginning, at the beginning and at the end. Sort <laughs> Who of the will circular. be Captain America? Basically. Yeah, exactly. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't get it. I mean, and everybody I've talked to... Uh, uh, including a, a good friend of mine at work, you know, he's he's also very much into the MCU, and he said the same thing. He he just wasn't feeling it. I know people who just quit on it. People just yeah. Quit on it. So I don't know who's I don't know who's you <laughs> know. know I'm sure there are, yeah, the I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of people out there watching it, and they really enjoyed it. But maybe you cut some of the stuff out in the first few episodes that seemed to be a little bit redundant. Like we get it. Like you know, we had yeah. two personalities. One of the personalities was you know crazy crazier than the other, and blah blah blah. I think you could have made a more cohesive um, storyline if you cut some of that out and maybe uh, reordered it. Yeah, I think the craziest thing about it is I think that this thing was <laughs> misconceived from the from the very start because 
what is there, and I think I mentioned this in the, the when I did the review last week, but it's like, what is there? The, those actual episodes, if you cut that whole thing in half to like two hours, mm-hmm. maybe it works as a movie. If you really take just that exact story, but you get rid of all the fat from it, right? Yeah. But as a TV show, like you said, this could be very interesting. Like they could have taken any aspect of this. And I think it would have been more satisfying whether we open on his origin story, him being shot and dying mm-hmm. and getting the Moon Knight powers and then having this internal conflict over the course of the show. That would be a better way to tell the story. If we saw this as it's Moon Knight, he's Batman. It's already Moon Knight. He has all his powers. He already has yeah. his money and his weapons and everything else. And then we find out over the course of the show that there's a supernatural element to it. Right. We get introduced to it. You know, he's just Batman. But then, oh, wait, Batman with this supernatural element to it cool that is more satisfying version of the show or going totally abstract imagine he's in a mental asylum and like in his dreams he's the superhero and then he's going back and forth going like which one of these things is true and it's this battle of all these different elements of it maybe that's not really great for the mcu but it's the type of thing that i would be very much into so if they Mm -hmm. really wanted to do something experimental they could go in that direction this felt like none of those things like i don't know what they were trying to do in this show it really made no sense at all totally agree with you and and the thing is like going back to the point like you know like we both of us very much like severance right so it's not like uh you know we're we're uh unable to appreciate abstract sort of uh, type <laughs> right. of shows. I mean, right. severance is as, is as wacky as it gets and exactly. you know, abstract as it gets, but that was just done very, very well. And this was just done very, very poorly. It, it, one, one question I actually had was, could people see the two giant, uh, yes, the Kaiju, the giant, it's like, yeah, a giant. Like, like it was like Godzilla <laughs> against, you know, uh, you know, could they see that at that point? Because I have to uh, assume know, they can, right? So, so then, okay. So, if they could see them, then right? Why couldn't they see Kanchu earlier when it was just Mark talking to yeah, him? Yeah, good point. And then good the point. other thing I had, the other question I had was that you have Godzilla facing the giant skeleton creature, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> Isn't this an Avengers level threat at this point? Like, yes. why why yeah. are we not mm-hmm. seeing yeah. like you know? Okay, I get it. Iron Man's gone, but you know where where is you know where are the Avengers? Like, come on, <laughs> right. you, you know they're they're you've got two gigantic gods, you know, fighting each other. That presumably it's going to determine whether or not you know almost the Thanos level thing, right? Like a yep. lot of people are going to die if exactly Contra doesn't win. Where are the Avengers here? And what are the Avengers doing? Like, it's so funny when you actually think about the actual plots of the Avengers movies where they're like trying to like, you know, get some weapons that are being smuggled out. (laughs) Not at the the end, right? Endgame is obviously hugely high stakes. But you think of some of the other ones and they're like, we were too busy to do this, for example, when the sky is being rewound 2000 years. But, uh, you know, we're going to have this, you know, fist fight in, in the, you know, in Captain America's Civil War, which exactly. I love, by the way. I actually yeah. love that movie. But, yeah, like, that, movie. That's 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 a that's an Avengers level event, you know, right? Like the yeah. blowing up a plane uh, that's grounded somewhere. I get it. You can't have them in everything. But that was a little bit much. And um, again, it violated the rules that had been established earlier in the show where nobody could see the gods other than than the, the avatars. That wasn't the case, I guess. At the end, everybody could see. Kanchu fighting the Amit, Amit, yeah, yeah or, or aka the giant crocodile, <laughs> right? Um, so Saul, we have two episodes of Saul that just came by. They're very middle episodes, right? But yeah. I think they're setting things up for next week, which I think is going to be very eventful. 
I mean, th- this show's uh, the show's outstanding. I, I could say nothing bad about Saul. I just love where it's going. He got the secret secretaries now in. He's got <laughs> he's back, got the yeah. space. Yeah, she's like, what what the hell's going the on? Toilet here? in the middle of the room. Exactly, the toilets <laughs> in the middle of the room. Um, you know, the Nacho episode. Oh my yeah, god, that was that was, that, was yep. that was so sad. Uh, and it's funny because you know you 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 know you ended up rooting for the guy and, yeah. and you really hoped he was going to be able to get out. I'm curious to see what happens though. Um, with I think her name is Marguerite, right? She was the yep. wife of, uh, yep. you know, if he if Lalo ends up uh, killing her, and you don't know, I, he might just leave because yeah. he, you know, he I think he got what he needs to get. I think he found the name of the the company, right? Yes, exactly. That's so guess. he may not do anything to her. But I was actually thinking, I'm like, you know, if he ends up killing her, and Mike finds out, right? Mike's going to get him, you know, because Mike, as you remember, was, I forget the husband's name, but, you know, Warner, Warner. Yeah. He, you know, he was protective, very protective of him. And, and, you know, even after he had to do what he had to do to him, I was, I was thinking, I'm like, wow, if Lalo ends up killing her, that's going to be, that could be, that could be how Lalo ends up going when, when Mike finds out, but it was interesting. So he's going to, he's obviously going to track down now the, uh, uh, the other guys that worked on the, on the project and and determine what, you know, what Gus was actually doing. But as we know, the, the, the lab obviously does get built. So, right, exactly. uh, you know, I don't know, you know, the end, the end game here. I mean, you know, what's really going to happen. The only, the only interesting thing is, I mean, does Lalo fall off the grid? Right. And uh, you know, I mean, because you don't, you don't know for sure that he does, that he, that he doesn't survive into the breaking bad timeline. Right. Uh, maybe he's just hiding in Europe or, you know, he's on the lamb. Maybe he shows up in, was it Peoria or wherever, yeah, wherever Saul is. Uh, yeah. I mean, stranger things have happened, especially with, with Vince Gilligan. So who, who knows? I, to your point, I don't think that he's going to kill Marguerite. My co-host Sona said the same thing. She was like glad that he didn't kill her and, and that, it, that he, he had some sympathy for her. And I said, I agree. I actually do think you see Lalo like kind of out of his usual context. I actually do think he had sympathy for her and he did not want to hurt her if he didn't have to. So I don't think he's like as, a one-dimensional monster as he may present himself to be most of the time. So on the one hand, I think he's glad he didn't have to kill her. But on the other hand, I completely agree. That was my theory of the case, which is if she ends up dead, everyone, there's going to be alarm bells going up everywhere, right? So Lalo doesn't want them to know he's coming. So he's going to obviously not kill everybody in his way because Mike is going to know he's on his way. If all these people start turning up dead, I'm sure Mike is keeping tabs on all of these people. It's been so long and I haven't watched the last season in a while to sort of, I was I did my research, so I, I, yeah, I did, so I can answer this. For you. I can't remember why Lalo ended up at Jimmy Jimmy's Jimmy's apartment that night. I, I know oh. it had to do with Jimmy getting the, um, you know, getting the money over the border, but the car got shot up. But he was right. helped by Mike. But I I can't remember why Lalo was like interrogating him and uh, uh, Kim. That was the, the whole thing. So he needed the money. So the original plan was he's going to get the money, just drive out. They're going to meet the murder twins in the middle of the desert, get mm-hmm. the bag and drive back home. And then he gets intercepted. Uh, Mike is there, snipes, you know, the guys, and then they do that whole walk back. And then Lalo goes, so how did everything go with the money? Saul says everything went fine. And it's just the fact that he, you know, like Gus, by the way, they're kind of like mirror images of each other. There's something wrong. I know he's lying to me and I need to know why he's lying to me. And basically that's what it came down to. So they found his car. The car was shut up, uh, shot up in the middle of the desert and then that's when they have the whole confrontation so he's like telling saul to be like tell me again what happened tell me again what happened because he knows that saul is lying to him right so that he yeah. knows that the story is not the way he he said it is <clears throat> and that's when kim kind of starts covering up and saying 
look, the car broke down. Someone showed up. They shot it up for fun. They shoved it into a hole. And now you are harassing us because you don't trust your own men. You need to find out which one of your men uh, you don't trust because why are you here talking to me if you really have all these problems? So, and then he had no response to that. So, you know, she was fast on her feet and got him out the door. To your point, I think you're asking me this because you think like, is Saul really at risk here? I don't think Saul would be their number one target. I don't think that Lalo is going to come after Saul. He's going after Gus. I don't think he's going to come after Saul and be like, Saul lied to me about that money transfer. I think like, basically he still knows that Saul lied to him about that money transfer, but that is, you know, like Gus tried to assassinate him. This is like way yeah. past that at this point. Right. So, yeah. Cause I was like, I couldn't, I couldn't remember why they, I knew that they were worried about him and I knew sure. that he had showed up at their house, but it was just, I'd gotten, you know, before the season started, I got to like episode three or four of last season. And then right. I just wanted to start this and I didn't want right. to, you know, I didn't want to delay it. Um, cause I knew where it ended up anyway, but I, I, for the life of me, I couldn't remember why they were so worried that he was going to show up again because I thought that they had, um, resolved it. Supposedly this guy's dead and now he's not dead. And the last time he was in town, yeah. <laughs> he was at their house <laughs> threatening to murder them. So I think they're just probably like, I don't think that they're like trying to cover up, like, you know, we paid to have this guy assassinated. He's coming after us. I think just terrified if he's out there at all. Right. Because exactly. they can get caught up in this whole thing. The reality is if he shows up and says, I don't have anyone else to do this deal for me. Saul, you're going to do it or I'm going to kill you or going to kill Kim. Uh, even if it's just something like that, like just they're just pawns on the board, it's still terrifying, right? Who wants exactly. to get involved? <laughs> so I think that's basically where they're at. Yep, yep. And uh, I'll tell you, man, Tony Dolan's a great, great, great yep. actor. So Unbelievable great. actor. I went off on, in our review earlier this week on just how great he is in that whole final sequence. You see him be like very charming. Yep. And then you see him like asking the questions and she really does not know. He knows that she's not lying to him. And you just see on his face as he just keeps politely asking these questions. He's so frustrated. He's like, I'm not getting anywhere here. And yeah. it's so great. His, you see everything happening on his face. It's really, really impressive. It really is. And uh, no, that was great. It was an excellent episode. Uh, uh, both both the last two weeks have been great, but we'll see where we'll see where this goes. You know, anything else? Oh, the whole thing with Howard, man, that's. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, 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 I was trying to figure out whether or not Jimmy knew that Howard was at the gym or if. I don't think he knew about the gym. I think he was surprised. <laughs> he was surprised by that whole encounter, but I don't think like when he shows up, Howard finding out this, you know, the, yeah. my, minus the whole gym of situation, the Howard finding out what's going on was part of the plan. I think so too. Because they're not surprised at all. They're like, they're not yeah. panicked or anything. They're just whatever. <laughs> when he, so. when he said, uh, no, I know what the problem is. I have a Jimmy problem because right. he's like, who did you meet for lunch? He's like, right. well, Kim Wexor. A dead giveaway, right? Yeah. It's like, okay, you know, but uh, it's going to be, it's going to be fun to see what, <laughs> what, you almost feel sorry for him, you know, because yeah. he's, yeah. And he was such a jerk, like, you know, through the whole, uh, through the whole show. But now it's like, oh man, I don't know what they're going to end up doing to this poor guy. And there's something else that's going to happen too, because they're, they need to know who the mediator is going to be. And I assume it's all going to click into place. Probably next week will be the big eventful episode. And then they'll have kind of the wrap up. And then my prediction, I think it's the same you've had in a previous conversation we had, which is we are going to jump into yeah. like breaking bad timeline when we come back from the break. I mean, who knows, but I, right. I think you're going to have a jump into Breaking Bad. And then and then the last couple episodes have to be post-Breaking Bad. Yes. Yeah. Or or at least the last episode. I mean, to right. find out what, what eventually happens and who's still around and who's not. Right. You know, the funny thing is, is the lead in this week, I, I certainly fell for it. I actually thought it was Walter. Walter. Mm-hmm. 
making, I did too. making yeah. the crystal meth. I, I thought, you know, I was like, Oh wow. I'm like, here it's Walter, you know? Yeah. And uh, no, I could have sworn. I was like, Oh wow. We're, we're, we're going to see Walter and Jesse right now, but uh, no, not yet. Not Here's yet. A, an amazing Easter egg that I did not notice in the show, but it was something that was, I couldn't figure out in this week's episode. It's the moment where Gus is at Pollo's Romano's mm-hmm. and he offers the guy he goes, Oh, you know, you should hit with your sandwich would be our signature uh, spicy curls, right? Yeah. And all of a sudden, it's like his spidey sense tingles, or like my co-host said, yeah. she said it was like there was a disruption in the force, right? Like yeah, something yeah. happens, right? So something is clicking in place in his head. And what was it? And this person on Twitter figured it out. There's a sequence where we see him meeting meeting with his board of directors, which is like this conglomerate that not only run, runs a uh, Poyos Hermanos, but also, of course, the drug trade as well. Yeah, which is Madrigal is like the main investor there. And he introduces at the board meeting, he introduces our new spicy uh, curls, right? So, and then he, everybody tastes it and they all compliment how delicious it is and everything else. So now here we are over a year later, that's season four. So now over a year later, uh-huh. he brings up the spicy curls. And it's like, at that moment, he realizes, he realizes Lalo oh. knows about the German connection. Wow. And he's like, it's like, he's understanding that Lalo is in Germany all of a sudden. It's like, that's how he got, got figured it out that moment. Oh, wow. <laughs> that is great. That's right. That is right. Because it's so funny that the, the spicy curls is the trigger in his mind. <laughs> wow. That's impressive. Whoever, whoever remembered that. Wow. People really, <laughs> <laughs> people are hardcore. I got to give people some credit, man. You really exactly. do have to give people some credit here, but it's just about amazing how tight the writing is on the that show speaking as contrast because i got to talk to you about this before we wrap up the ozark finale yeah how, how what kind of ozark watcher are you are you, like, are you a big fan of the show like what, yeah where? i would say i would say a big fan i mean not not you know not as big as Bra- as breaking bad or better call saul but ozark's up there for me i mean i would i would put it in you know it's one of, one of my favorite shows that's ever been on um this season was um uh <laughs> a little uneven for me but i didn't mind the i didn't mind the ending um i was hoping wendy would die Uh, spoiler spoiler yeah i'm gonna put spoiler on this whole thing by the way yeah (laughs) since um, we spoiled everything we talked about so far (laughs) i was hoping wendy would die and i was i have to say i was sad to see ruth go yeah um i was definitely i was pulling for i was hoping that she'd be able to get out and uh um and i really i actually thought frank jr was going to come save her i thought that he was going to show up and end up killing, I guess it's Camilla, right? The sister. Uh, uh, I would have preferred that, but at the same yeah. time, I feel like it's kind of like, at least the show kind of played honest there. And the fact that, yeah. first of all, I don't think anybody saw Camilla coming really. I mean, he's never had that kind of relationship with Ruth. I guess they did have, they did bond actually in this past yeah. season or so, but I also feel like, you know, the show, I mean, if he goes and kills Camilla now, there's a whole other, yeah. they were just at war with them just last season. Right. So it's just a continuation. I mean, it left a lot of things open and yeah. I think they just, they did it on purpose because now, you know, without Ruth, Ruth there, she's not going to be able to wander the money through the casino. Right. Yeah. The yeah. birds are presumably they're clean now. Right. Because they've got their little foundation and they'll go and do what they well, I mean, let's let's talk about that last scene. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, Jonah. Yeah. Oh, he shot him. He shot him. Definitely. There's some people think that he just shot the uh, the, <laughs> the the cookie jar. Um, I definitely think he shot uh, the the detective slash police officer. Is it with Max the cu- with the cut the black. Don't you think? I mean, obviously, you hear the gunshot. I think that what we're supposed to be deciding there in that cut the black is did he kill the detective or did he kill his parents? 
I yeah, no, I, I don't No, I don't think he killed his parents. I mean, my feeling is I think he thought, you know, we're out. We're finally out. And now, you know, this asshole shows up and we're 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 not entirely out. And then he just he came in. And if you saw the look that uh, Marty gave uh, Wendy, you know, they almost were like proud of him. Like, yeah, look at our boy. You know, he's got a shotgun on, on this guy. I, I think it was uh, I think I think he I think he shot him and, and they got away clean, you know, which is incredible i didn't think that that was going to happen a little bit annoyed with the car crash uh you know that was oh my god (laughs) that that annoyed the shit out of me to be honest with you i'm like we waited 14 episodes for this yeah i'm on the opposite side of this thing with you i i loved season one of the show i was actually one of those people who was telling everyone you gotta see this show in the first two episodes it's like the whole first season of breaking bad in two episodes yeah and it was just like and i'm like i don't know if they could keep this pace going and I really feel like they should have slowed it down at some point because by the end of season one, I was so out on the show. I was completely out on it. Really? I, yeah. I, I, wow. I And I had a huge problem with, um, was it Darlene? Was that her name? Yeah, Darlene. Yeah. I just had such a huge yeah, she problem with her. She just kept shooting everybody with, she with just the shot everybody. Anybody walks in the house, she just shot them. And uh, somehow <laughs> there's no any, there's no ramifications for her. And there's no logical explanation as to how she keeps surviving. Like first, they need her for the heroin. Then they need, you know, then she's protected by her husband, but then she murders her husband and she's still protected somehow, but they need that uh, heroin deal. Uh, but then they decide, you know what? We don't need your heroin. As a matter of fact, we'll burn your fields so that you don't sell it because, you know, you're messing up our plants. And still she survives. And yeah. then like they, she's constantly protected. And then like she's being protected by the Italian mob. And then uh, Frank shows up at her house and she murders him and everybody, she's still protected. I'm like, who is she possibly protected by at this point? They burned her opium field. She has killed every other person who supposedly protects her. And, uh, and everybody's still like, well, we can't mess with her. And like, literally it's like such a troll of the audience because after she goes and shoots, you know, uh, Frank Jr.'s uh, manhood off and kills his dad, he's still, (laughs) she still is protected. And then Wendy sits there and goes like, if I don't call 911, she's dead and everybody like makes sure she's okay as if everybody was like bringing flowers to the hospital because michael myers had survived the, the last halloween movie you want this person dead like why are you bringing her flowers like what is yeah. that what is happening over here the darlene problem was a huge problem for me but but i like hate watch the show i just thought it was one bad decision after another right away in that first episode where they have javi show up they're in someone's corporate room there are security cameras on <laughs> yeah. and they're That's like true. Ruth, I'm tired of hearing you talk. Okay, here we go. I'm going to bring him here so you can shoot him dead in front of our business partner, this woman who's going to fund our foundation. This is like one woman who can like make us legitimate. And we're going to drag her into this whole entire thing. And I'm just like, what decisions are these people making? And like you said, <laughs> and they get away with all of it. It's just like, it's completely, it's, it's like, it, so, yeah, it did go, it nuts. did go quite you know it did go off the rails i don't know i was you know i enjoyed it um (laughs) it was certainly better in the first couple of seasons no question about it you know it got a little bit off the rails there i I felt sort of the same way with sons of anarchy where i really really enjoyed it the first few seasons and then i still liked it um through to the end but 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 you know and then and then it ended i enjoyed it you know i i I don't see myself going back and watching again but i would still say it was one of one of my you know favorite shows that had been on tv but but yeah, I, I agree. The first few seasons were much better than than the end. But you know, one of the other problems was you also ended up killing off a lot of the characters. So <laughs> right. there was really nobody left by the end. So they you know I bring back you know the entire Langmore clan in the in the flashbacks or in her yeah. mind they were yeah, all there exactly. 
I, I enjoyed it. I mean, it was just a little, you know, the ending was just a little underwhelming. I didn't hate it. it wasn't my favorite endings, but um, a little under. I, I I felt like though someone should have should have bought the farm. One, <laughs> you know, like yeah. all four of them made it out. Um, especially like you know when you when you think back to like what happened in the first fifteen minutes of the first episode ever. You know when Dell comes in and he shoots everybody, yeah. you know, and, and, and Marty's like begging for his life. And it's like, yeah. that was like, that was exactly. actually like the closest Marty ever came to getting yeah. killed, I guess then. And when, yeah. and then when they took him to Mexico, but if you think back at it, realistically, the closest Marty ever came to getting killed was in the first 15 minutes of the first episode. Yeah. You brought it up already. I find it really annoying when a show gets really cheap like that. And we see in the very first episode of this season, we have the car crash, yeah. right? And uh, you're like, oh, we're coming back to that, right? And I had joked with Sona uh, that that's going to be the payoff at the end, right? That they get away with the work, they get Scott clean, Scott free, everything's good. They clean up their, you know, they're, they're singing uh, Kumbaya in the car, yeah. and then they all die in a car accident, right? Which would be a cheap ending, I agree, but it still would be something at least. Yeah. And instead, what they do is they introduce that to keep you on the hook. We want to make sure everybody hangs in there for the second half. And then they're like, oh, yeah, the car accident. We'll just throw it in there. And it's completely inconsequential. Like, we're just, completely, completely, completely inconsequential. Was, yeah. I, so when they when they get into the car after she gets out of the, the hospital that she was in, they get in the car. And I said to myself, I go, wait, this is it. This is the car accident. Right. So, you know, and then the music comes on and it, you know, and, and then they're having the dialogue. I actually hit pause. And I said, oh, this is going to be great. I'm like, there's 45 minutes left of this episode. And I'm like rubbing my hands. I'm like, here we go. Finally, we're going to have like the payoff. And then the car flips over and you see like, you know, Marty gets out. Then the two kids get out. And I'm like, all right, Wendy's dead. Like, at least she's dead. <laughs> he pulls her Nothing. out and she's like, okay. And I'm like, wait, you, no, this can't possibly. And, and then that's it. They literally like show up and go like, whew, that was a close one. And then they the next... show up in a cab. The that's next it. scene, they're showing up in a cab. That's I'm it. Like, that's it. Not the... <laughs> I'm like, you have got to be kidding me. We waited. Yeah. How long did we wait to see that? Yeah, exactly. I was like, oh, man. And, that, and that like, a... is a representation of everything that's wrong with the show. And yeah. by the way, I had written all these other alternative ways that could go that I think would be better once again. And if yeah. I can come up with something better, these people who do this professionally should come up with something better. But I was thinking, imagine the families all getting escaping with this. And they were going to like, they're literally saying like, okay, we're ready to, you yeah. know, we, we got one more week and we're going to, we're out of this and we're going to go like start our new lives in Chicago or whatever. And imagine that all of a sudden, like Wendy's part of the deal and now she's in the hospital and now how are we going to make this thing work? Or mm -hmm. the kids are injured and he has a chance to make a break for it. It goes like, what is he going to do? Is he going to save himself? Is he going to save his family? Like there's all these interesting things that couldn't put up there. And they're just like, no, they hop in the cab and they go home. I'm like, why, <laughs> why did you even put that in there? Like, what is the point of any of that? Like, it's there was no point to that. That, that was frustrating. One of the other things I thought too was um, at the end, I thought that you were going to maybe see like a shootout at the at the gala right because i'm like okay this is gonna end then, then i'm thinking all right this is it this is the big night like something right. huge is gonna happen here like right. you know he navarro is gonna get it he's gonna escape figure out what happened and he's gonna shoot up you know shoot everybody up and you're because you had all the all the big wigs and everybody from the prior seasons are there you know who, whoever's left and nothing happened you know camilla just comes up and she's like i'm gonna i'm gonna kill ruth and if you do anything i'm gonna kill your kids i, I wish ruth had made it out and the other thing I always think about when I get to the end of a show, <clears throat> I always I kind of try to say like, well, what was the what was the point of the show? What was this show trying to say this whole entire time? And you know, they really smack you in the head with it there at the very end of that last episode. That you know, it's about this like white privilege and these kind of entitled people who just 
feel like they can do whatever the hell they want to do and get away with it. And then Wendy even says it, she goes, well, that's what always happens. So mm-hmm. I think that's what the show is trying to say, but I don't really think they did a very good job yeah. of, of saying it. And also it just feels like it's just so contrived over the course of the show, because to your point in that very first episode where, you know, he is desperately like begging for his life and you really feel it. It's like such a great episode. That first, those first yeah. two episodes, by the way, which directed by, Jason Bateman, great job directing those. He directed episodes. those? Yeah, great job. Wow. I didn't know that. And uh, yeah, he did re- really exceptional work. You know, y- you think about those scenes and then you think about those scenes in the first season where he's literally contemplating killing himself, committing suicide mm-hmm. to like let his family off the hook. And I'm like, where are those characters now at this point yeah, in the show? Even if we take it for granted that, that the show is trying to make a point about this, that I still feel like, come on, give me a break. These people are savvy drug dealers. They they run a $100 million empire or something. And we're supposed to believe that everything these people say to these people, they believe what they're telling them, even though, even though like literally Ruth will be like, don't listen to these people. They'll lie to you every second. And then Navarro says to Camilla, don't listen to a goddamn word. These people say they're yeah. all li- liars. And then even he, they tell him, hey, we got you covered. We're going to take care of you. And he's like, okay, I'm on board. It's just like, yeah, it's like, it's, it's so crazy. All they do is lie to people. All he does, they do is stab them in the back. Everybody warns the next person in this chain of dominoes. Don't trust them. They're going to stab you in the back. They get stabbed in the back and then they just keep floating through this. And I'm like, what the hell is going on? It's just so <laughs> preposterous. And what I thought would be kind of interesting would be imagine this whole house of cards collapses and basically everybody else that they screwed over ends up better off. Like, you know, uh, Camilla ends up taking over this crime syndicate. Ruth ends up becoming this giant heroin dealer. That would be, for me, that would be very satisfying that these horrible, horrible people were doing nothing but being selfish for themselves. And in the end, these people that they betrayed all ended up in better positions and they end up like murdered at the end, which I was really rooting for, by the way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I thought that would be more satisfying to me. <laughs> I know people are still rooting for the birds. I was not rooting for the no, birds. No, I wasn't. I was actually, I was rooting for Marty. I wasn't rooting. Yeah. I was actually, I was really, really looking forward for to Ruth. seeing Wendy. I was rooting for Ruth more than Yeah, me. I was rooting for Marty and Ruth, actually. I was, I was really hoping Wendy would, would, would bite it. It's almost like they wrote the first season, then they wrote the second season, then right. they wrote the third. And I'm like, all right, well, we need to wrap it up. And so it wasn't as like smooth and, and sort of well thought out. I kind of feel like when you've got a show like this, you almost have to write it as if, you know, you've got to write it in the three segments or four segments and, and have, have an ending right. when you're starting to right. know where you want to end up. And that may not have been where they wanted to, to get to, or they may not have had any idea where they were getting to. Or you could do something like, you know, the, the analogy is Breaking Bad and the MCU, by the way, also, yeah, yeah. because Breaking Bad was written this way where, you know, Aaron Paul just get killed off like right mm-hmm. away. They literally went from season to season and they would like look at the previous season and go, what can we get from there? We can retroactively turn season one into an Easter egg for season two, for season three, for season four. And then we get to like, you know, now you're in Better Call Saul at this point. Yeah. And you're like going like, oh my God, they're, they're planting seeds for things that aren't going to pay off until Breaking Bad, right? Because yeah. they're thinking about all these things. To your point, I feel like when you look at Ozark, it really feels like they're just, just trying to write to the next five episodes, next six episodes. And I think the car crash, perfect example of this. I think they put that at the beginning of the episode. They had some general plan for where that was going to go. And they abandoned ship. They're like, oh man, we're at the yeah. end of the show. We'll just have them take a cab home. <laughs> like, what? whoa, like <laughs> you've really just given up at this point, haven't you? <laughs> My God, it's true. So true. Oh, and uh, one quick recommendation for you. I think I've already recommended this for you, but I definitely, if you're a fan of The Wire, you should now I'm yeah. three episodes into this three. There's only three episodes out. We 
we own this city. We, we own this city. I've heard about that. And uh, yeah. you know, I got to check it out. The only thing I'm upset about yeah. about this is it's not in the same universe as the wire. I was, I was like, when <laughs> right. I saw it, I'm like, Holy shit. I'm like, we might see some characters. And I know some of the actors are, the actors from are the wire, back, but not, but they play different parts. And yes, I was like, Oh exactly. my God, how amazing would that have been though? If it was like in the same universe and like McNulty shows up for a scene or something, <laughs> right. I would be like, Oh my God. Like, you know, this is based on a, a, a true story. And it's interesting. The uh, characters, you know, the police officers that, were arrested are you know they use their names so it's not fictionalized the way you know some shows that are like for example tokyo vice which i just saw that is almost everything that happens in that show is right out of the memoir it's a beat for beat but like everybody's name has been changed so they, they you know so that gives them like leeway to fictionalize a lot of the things everybody's name in we run the uh, we own the city is the, the the actual person's name and the dates all line up. It's like very journalistic, like The Wire, but you know this is nonfiction, so they really couldn't do what you're describing. But you get the, like you said, you get some of that because uh, you know a lot of the cast member from uh, you know. So it's a spiritual yeah. sequel, if nothing else. And no, things are still gotta... very bad in Baltimore. <laughs> all these years later, yeah, still no, very, I definitely got to. I have definitely got to check it out. Definitely yeah. got to check it out. All right, cool. All right, cool. Thanks for the conversation. All right, man. It's good talking right. with you. Good talking to you too. All right, man. Talk to you. Bye. So-